We are back and you are listening and watching Areva Martin in real time. And I'm your host, Areva Martin. And in this hour, I am joined by Dr. Benjamin F. Chavis. He is a civil rights leader and president and CEO of the National Newspaper Publishers Association, which is the largest association of black newspapers across this country. Thank you so much, Dr. Chavis, for joining me today. There is so much news going on. So much of it involves the status of Black folks in this country. I want to ask you about some of these big stories. Uh, let's start with our VP, Kamala Harris. She has been getting some amazingly positive uh, press over the last, I'd say, 30, 60 days or so. You know, the press earlier on in the Biden-Harris administration tended to be pretty negative about the president. But more recently, she's getting lots of praise for pushing back on the GOP narrative around abortion rights, uh, around Florida's incredibly backwards and, uh, you know, oppressive education standards about slavery. What, what do you think this turn of events is, uh, or what do you attribute this turn of events too? Well, it's a very positive uh, turn of events uh, for the Biden-Harris administration, but particularly for Vice President Kamala Harris. And, and let me just say, uh, uh, Reva, uh, to you uh, on the record, uh, there has been an attack on Black women. Uh, the Vice President of the United States, Supreme Court Justice, uh, the sister who are prosecuting uh, this case in Georgia, the soon will be announced. Uh, yeah, and I, I hear around the subtleties, uh, not only in Washington, D.C., but across the country. And so when Kamala uh, sort of came out, uh, I think it was very well-timed, but the important note is the reception. She's been well-received. Uh, she has thousands and thunderous applause uh, in every venue that she's been on all the issues. And uh, if President Biden was smart, he would keep Vice President Kamala Harris out there, because there's going to be a lot happening over the next 12 months preparing for the 2024 elections, one of the most key, one of the most consequential elections in our lifetime. I guess we say that every election <laughs> is the most important. But in fact, it is. And Freddie Douglas had it right. Freedom is a constant struggle. It's just not something we do for one year and then we retreat and kind of watch our progress, salivate on it. No. When you win freedom, you got to continue to protect that freedom. You got to continue to sustain. So each generation should experience more and more freedom, not less and less freedom. And so that's why we have to be on guard with voting rights, with rights of uh, productive uh, rights of women, uh, you know, affirmative action. Uh, we got to make sure that they don't start revising Black history. And uh, certainly, we can't allow anyone to try to tamper with the narrative of the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah, let's talk to the your point about Kamala Harris and you're saying that if Biden uh, and his team, you know, were smart, they would keep her out front. And yes, I am so happy to finally see the narrative changing and folks starting to give her the credit that she deserves and the press starting to treat her with the respect as a black woman, first yes. black woman vice president that she so righteously deserves. But there are some who say keeping her out front feeds the narrative of those Republicans that say, well, she's going to be the real president. And if you vote for Joe Biden independents or conservatives that have soured on Donald Trump, you're not really voting for Joe Biden, you're voting for Kamala Harris. 
And there are some independents, there are some conservatives, and maybe even some Democrats who are not ready for a black woman to step into the top role. So does the Biden administration, you think, need to be concerned about that? Uh, and if so, how do they balance perhaps that concern with the popularity that the vice president has? Uh, your point is well taken, uh, Ariva. I think the Biden administration needs to keep pushing forward, keep Kamala Harris out there, because if you retreat, you can't show the far right that they have the effect to silence us, the effect to make us be restrained, uh, the effect to make us uh, kind of, uh, you know, stay in the middle and not uh, uh, raise our fists or raise our voices or raise our passion. Uh, one of the things that's so characteristic about Vice President Kamala Harris is her passion, her passion for justice, her passion for equality, uh, her passion for uh, speaking out. And I think that uh, uh, and overall, the Biden-Harris administration, took the President Biden, he's accomplished a lot, but they haven't had the messaging of his accomplishments out there, in my view, proactive. You know, Donald Trump takes the oxygen out of the mainstream media every day, mm. sometimes every hour. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, we, we, we should not just be reacting uh, to the uh, politics, not the politics, the politics of Donald Trump. Because we all, you know, get in the line of reacting, then it serves as a distraction from some very real socioeconomic gains that need to be made in our communities. And so, uh, Dr. Chavis, as the head of the largest uh, trade association of Black newspapers in this country, you have your fingers on the pulse of Black folks, no doubt about that. And so many of the articles that have been coming out about Black voters is that Black voters are pretty lukewarm on the Biden-Harris uh, administration. Now, you know, these early comments, early polls, way too early to make any predictions. And if history tells us anything, is that Black folks are probably going to vote in large number uh, for the Democratic right Party. So uh, keep nothing in mind, this prediction of Black apathy, the predictions of Black low voter turnout, they've been around for uh, uh, over a decade. And they always, uh, people are shocked, oh, wow, black folks voted. What happened to the polls? So what happens is uh, uh, the problem, Ariva, uh, is who does the polling? You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I would love uh, for the National Newspaper Publishers Association and Howard University and Black-owned media, we do our own polls. Mm -hmm. Because the, the polling presupposes the answers to the polls. If you look at even on, on CNN and MSNBC, who's supposed to be progressive, if you look at how they pose the question, you know, uh, determines what answers you get. And, and I think that um, this notion, uh, I've even heard now that, uh, well, there's something going on between black men and black women, that, that black women vote and black men don't vote. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the barbershops or in the beauty parlors, we, we'd be taking on their narrative. And I said, oh, wait a minute. No, we every person has to vote in our community, young and old, you know, no matter what your socioeconomic status. Voting for us is blood soaked. Voting for us is sacred. We died to get the right to vote. We bled to get the right to vote. So when people are lynched to get the right to vote. Uh, I'm so glad we, uh, President Biden, Vice President Harris, uh, recognized uh, Emmett Till and Emmett Till's family recently in the White House. So a lot of good things go on, but 
but they're minimizing the mainstream media. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up because this article that I'm reading from is is talking about black voters in Atlanta. Uh, you know, the second largest black population in the U.S. is in Atlanta. And they're saying one in five black voters aren't enthusiastic about the Biden-Harris administration, citing the pain of inflation and setbacks on policies such as student loan forgiveness, saying that these uh, policies have left black folks with misgivings. So if these articles are disseminated and, and we know they're they're multi, you know they're they're regularly in yeah. the mainstream media. How do you make sure that the message you just delivered that this doesn't reflect really how black voters are thinking because we don't have the right people even talking to black voters? How do we push back against these articles and the targeting? Because we know uh whether it's Russia or conservative media outlets, black voters are considered low propensity voters and are often targeted by disinformation campaigns. That's right. You know, it's it's interesting. On the one hand, they say that our voting patterns are low, but on the other hand, hundreds of millions of dollars are spent on misinformation targeted toward the black community to make sure that we underestimate our power, that we under like the census. Well, now we know that millions of black people are undercounted in the last census that the Trump administration was responsible for and uh, for setting it up uh, for the undercount. And, and I think that uh, the answer to the question is, I think we have to do our own polling. Uh, we have uh, uh, statisticians. We had uh, uh, some of the finest people in statistics and analysis. We just have to summon them uh, to do our own polling, uh, just like your program, your uh uh, that you do, we have to be in the media from our own position of understanding, from our own position of history, and from our own position of reality. I, I think that uh, uh, we, we need more real talk. Uh, you know, uh, Black Radio one time was the drumbeat of the Black community. I mean, literally the drumbeat. But now, according to NABOB, the National Association of Black Owned uh, Radio Owners, there's been a serious decline in the ownership of, of media uh, by African-Americans. Even though the demographics have changed, the browning of America demographically has taken place, but there has not been browning of wealth building. There has not been browning of ownership of media businesses uh, in our community. So these are the things we have to continue to work on. And uh, in the NMPA, we, we, I monitor what the 250 African-American newspapers do every week and uh, uh, Philadelphia Tribune is one of our big publishers every day uh, in Philly. Uh, and we have one in Brooklyn, the Daily Challenge, that publishes every day. But it is the narrative, the constant narrative has to be reinforced. I also would like to call uh, for a more alignment between the Black church, the Black press, uh, uh, HBCUs, the Divine Nine. We've got so many entities our challenge is how to work together. Mm-hmm. And to see uh, Kamala Harris at the NWCP convention, I was in Boston. Uh, she made a great speech. She was well-received. And I, and I think that hopefully she will stay out there. And, you know, um, people are criticizing uh, her for being out there, but I think she should stay out there. She's going to get criticized whether she stay out or go <laughs> or, or, or retreat. So it might as well stay out and keep fighting. No, absolutely. Uh 
You know, first it was, where is she? What does she do? And then when she's showing up in these critical places, whether it's Iowa or Jacksonville, Florida, and taking on Republicans, then she's critiqued for that as well. But you brought up something really, really important, and that's uh, the the dying off of Black media, particularly Black radio. You said that was the drumbeat of our community. So it raises the question for me, like, where are African-Americans getting their news? Because again, if you're reading most of the mainstream papers online, the mainstream outlets, you're going to hear that narrative that I just put forward, that Black folks are lukewarm and even maybe sour on the Biden-Harris administration. And you may not get that backstory about, you know, who did the polling, who did they talk to? And if you did that polling with a black firm and talked to black people in a different part of the country, maybe you'd get different poll results. So where are black folks getting their news if black radio is dying? And what does that say about black newspapers? Well, it, it puts black newspapers and other black owned media back on front street. Because if there's a decline in black owned television, decline in black owned radio, and of course, we don't own any of the media platforms. Uh, you know, black people, we over-index on a whole lot of stuff. We over-index on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We even over-index on TikTok. But we don't own those platforms. You know, and so um, we know that there are not only uh, foreign powers like Russia and others that hire uh, boats and uh, uh, artificial intelligence to create these false, because uh, uh, I get emails sometimes and uh, impressions on my Facebook, and I know, I know it's not from a black person, but I can tell by the wording, you know. And then I look, I try to search, and turn sure enough, if somebody has one one follower, so all these, and they put out this misinformation. And so my caution to our listeners, uh, is that we should, uh, like our grandparents used to say. We have to read between the lines. Well, you also have to hear between the lines. You have to see between the lines uh, to seek that truth um, and keep pushing forward. And I think we need intergenerational. You know, this year marks the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington, but also this year marks the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And mm -hmm. I know um, a lot of the uh, hip hop artists, I'm, I'm watching Beyonce on her tour, thousands of people are coming out. That's great to see the culture and influence of hip hop. But hip hop from the very beginning was always always had a social consciousness. It always had a, a, a to take the culture, to take the lyrics, to take the poetry, and the images that project standing up for freedom, justice, equality, and equity. We got to make sure that we hold on to that and not lose that, because it's not only uh, what we say, but it's how we say it, and whether or not we say it with not just cultural sensitivity, but I would say cultural being authentic uh, mm -hmm. to who we are as a people, not only in America, but in the world. And the, and the world is changing. Uh, I yeah. think uh, our struggles here in the United States are not isolated from our struggles in Africa or in Brazil or in uh, Central America and other parts of the world. It's just a matter of not only connecting, but sharing information in a way that's very uplifting. I'm, I'm the eternal optimist, uh, Ariva. I can't, I can't wake up as a pessimist or go to sleep as a pessimist, you know. I think um, uh, I'm always looking for that good news uh, that Black people are achieving, that good news uh, that Black people are still making a difference, not only in America, but throughout the world. No, th that's excellent to hear. And when we come forward, I want to talk more about 
you made an excellent point about black folks over indexing on some of these social media platforms. Uh, and that begs the question about, you know, what influence can the black media have? Are we reaching black folks where they are? Tyler Perry just bought BET. Might that be a platform uh, that uh, is, uh, you know, gives way for black folks to get news and information? And I also want to talk about what happened after George Floyd's murder, the protests, the activism, and now what we're seeing in terms of the pushback on everything from affirmative action to DEI. Does that tell us that all of that activism was more of a moment versus a movement? And of course, we're going to talk about the uh, Biden's uh, plan to ban menthol. So stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. We have a lot to talk about. We will uh, resume our conversation with civil rights leader, Dr. Ben Chavis, when we come forward. We are back and in this hour, I'm joined by Dr. Benjamin F. Chavis. He's a civil rights leader and president and CEO of the National Newspaper Publishers Association. So uh, Dr. Chavis, uh, Tutau, one of the officers involved in the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis uh, in May of 2020 was sentenced today. He received four years and nine months for aiding and abetting, but rather than express remorse, he gave a 20-minute lecture basically to the court. Uh, the court had to interrupt him and, and let him know that he had expected for him to take more responsibility, uh, to show some remorse and regret. Uh, and to the contrary, and, and I'm just wondering, does Tutau's uh, you know, sermon to the court as he's being uh, sentenced for aiding and abetting a second-degree manslaughter, as well as the recent lawsuit filed by that conservative group, Alliance for Equal Rights, that's headed by Edward Blum. Uh, they've sued Fearless Fund. This is a Black investment firm uh, saying they're violating the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which bans racial bias in private contracts. Uh, is all of this, you think, a reflection of the pendulum swinging in uh, the opposite direction. We, we saw a lot of activism. We saw a lot of efforts on the part of individuals in this country to address systemic racism and barriers. We, we had this so-called racial reckoning. And now here we are a little over three years later, and you have a convicted, uh, someone who's been convicted of manslaughter in the murder of George Floyd lecturing the court rather than accepting responsibility. And we have a conservative group trying to challenge black women who just want to help other black women in business. What's going on? Well, I think there's an overall resurgency of white supremacy. And I think um, the Black Lives Matter uh, moment and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which uh, extended way beyond the borders of the United States, ultimately, uh, put a lot of fear uh, in people who don't want to see progressive change in America. But I would go back and, and say, uh, uh, Ariba, that um, what happened to George Floyd was not isolated. It, it was part of a long series of uh, racial-motivated police brutality uh, that has just been perpetrated time and time again on black men, black women, black children, um, black community, as well as other communities of color. And I think that what needs to happen is um, a consistency in our movement building. Um, 
And we should not um, rest on winning uh, particular battles, but not winning the war. Uh, and I think that, uh, um, you know, we have to be clear about what the movement is about. Um, I um, was very fortunate in my younger years uh, to work with the Reverend Dr. Martin King Jr. And I was youth coordinator for Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And I learned at the age of 14 uh, what not just organizing and mobilizing is about, but toward a larger end. It's just not about one march. It's not just about one protest. It's not even in one case. It's about trying to create the conditions for systemic change. And as you know, as, as, as an officer of the court yourself, uh, there's still uh, very deep-seated institutional uh, biases, prejudices, racism uh, in the system. And, and I think that we need to always be able to say in 2023, as we did in 1963 or as we did in 1953, what the nature of the systemic uh, oppression may be or continues to be. Uh, you know, it walks into different uh, manifestations. And um, I, I know you probably saw uh, the fight that happened in Birmingham. Not in yes. Birmingham, Montgomery, on the dock. On the dock, that, yes. That was some deep-seated stuff. That wasn't just about one fist fight. You know, uh, that, that shows you that there's like a tinderbox that um, Donald Trump played into. You know, uh, what happened on January the 6th, that wasn't just one day thing. That had been simmering for a long time. And it may come back. I don't think people should underestimate um, far right wing extremists. Well, when you say come back, it, it does, it seems to be very present. I, I wonder if this two tau would have said to, Three years ago, would would he have made those statements three years ago that he made in court today? He, oh, he said he would have been quiet, but he feels free to be vocal now. Right. That's what he says. My conscience is clear. I will not be a Judas nor join a mob in self-preservation or betray my God. And we know white supremacists often cloak themselves in Christianity, cloak right. themselves in some kind of you know religious. Uh, you know, argument or shield. And his reference to a mob, obviously he's talking about the activists, he's talking about the folks that uh, rose up and protested. So, uh, you know, the judge had to tell him he was really disappointed that he did not express any responsibility or take any accountability. So if, if we are confronted in this moment with this emboldened attitude that white supremacists and, you know, folks like Tutal that killed George Floyd. Uh, and this this lawsuit, this lawsuit is very troubling because this lawsuit is the beginning of this conservative group, Alliance for Equal Rights. This is the group that filed the lawsuit on behalf of Asian students that took it all the way to the Supreme Court, that won the Supreme Court decision overturning affirmative action in college admissions. They now have their sights set on private businesses. They're saying, if you McDonald's, if you uh, Microsoft, if you uh, Anheuser-Busch, if you have a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, we are going to sue you and accuse you of violating uh, 
uh, you know, civil rights, the Civil Rights Act. In this instance, is the Act of 1866. So how do we fight back? Flipping the script, they're they're saying that um, the former, the enslaved, are now discriminating against the slave masters. It's interesting, (laughs) you know. uh, They think they portray themselves as the victims. You know, they, they want to uh, ban books in Florida because uh, teaching authentic and true history makes people uncomfortable, makes some people uncomfortable. Uh, look at look what the state of Texas is doing, uh, putting uh, against international law, putting those uh, sharp razor boys in the river uh, and people are dying from it. And yet, um, so I, I think there's an all out onslaught not just on civility, on fairness, but I think there's a steady march uh, back to the right. And some of this is still in response to Obama being elected president. Keep in mind, Donald Trump came to power in wake of eight years of President Obama. And uh, and people say, well, why does Donald Trump have such a strong base? It's just not Trump. And while everybody gives him single credit, it's deeper than Donald Trump. Uh, you know, and this is about what pretends to shape the future of America. Uh, we're going to push forward where we can have not only discussion about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but now there's a backlash, even even having the discussion, even having the programs. Uh, and I, and even Clarence Thomas now is talking about overturning Brown versus the board. You know, so it, it doesn't stop, but. To me, this is why we need to keep an ongoing activist-based movement alive, be very clear about what the goals and objectives are. And each generation, you know, we should have to be replenished ourselves with freedom fighters. We should have more freedom fighters in 2023 than we had in 1963 or 1953. Right. And I think we should learn from our history, not necessarily repeat our history. No, excellent point. You know, so ironic about this lawsuit by Alliance for Equal Rights is they are relying on a civil rights statute that was enacted to prevent discrimination against slaves coming out of, you know, after the Civil War, we're going through this period of reconstruction. So these laws that were designed to allow Black folks to enter into contracts and not be discriminated against on the basis of their race, you now have this group claiming that a Black investment firm that has a grant program that targets a Black women to help Black women entrepreneurs is violating a Civil Rights Act that, again, was uh, enacted to address the rampant discrimination against Blacks coming out of slavery. So, yeah, things are upside down right now in this country, and we got to be woke. Upside down for a while, and when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, look what happened. Yeah. Hold, hold that thought for me, Dr. Chavis. When we come forward, we're going to talk about that and want to get your take on this proposed ban of menthol in cigarettes uh, by the Biden administration. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. The Food and Drug Administration appears on track to hit a deadline to propose a ban on menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. Now, some civil rights groups and black health organizations and consumer groups have pushed hard for the ban, viewing it as a major uh, racial justice issue. They allege that the tobacco industry has unfairly targeted the black community, 
uh, through discounts on menthol products and advertising in stores in black neighborhoods. And there are some studies that show that black smokers use menthol cigarette cigarettes at a much higher rate than white smokers. But uh, not all Black leaders are in agreement. Some Black leaders are weary of such a ban. They argue that it singles out Black smokers and puts them at risk of more confrontations with the police. Uh, members of the Congressional Black Caucus have spoken out against the ban in the past, uh, though opposition seemingly has decreased over the last few years. And even Al Sharpton, a civil rights activist, has urged the administration to establish a commission to study the racial and criminal justice impact of a menthol ban. Uh, Dr. Chavez, what's your position on the proposed FDA ban on menthol cigarettes? Thank you very much. The National Newspaper Publishers Association, we oppose uh, the menthol ban. We think it's uh, gonna have a negative consequence on our community. It it really amounts to racial profiling. You know, uh, why, would the FDA make a proposal to ban menthol cigarettes only? Um, menthol is not addictive. Nicotine is addictive. So um, why why they're not uh, 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 banning uh, Camels or Marlboros? Because uh, persons who are persons of color don't prefer those brands. So why would you then put a ban out in the enforcement of the ban? That's why uh, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, the National Association of Black Police Officers, we were very close with a lot of Blacks in law enforcement who but also articulated their opposition to proposed menthol ban. I think Reverend Sharpton's right. Before the government uh, uh, makes these rules or regulations, they should do a study to see what is the racial impact. You know, um, now some who uh, proponents of the bill say, well, don't worry, law enforcement won't enforce this and just be the health officers. Uh, how many city has health officers? Well, if, if, if people are caught uh, and when the ban is enforced, selling or using uh, these menthol cities, it's going to cause an underground market. And what's going to happen when we have young people out there slinging cigarettes, um, uh, like they're slinging other things that may be banned or illegal? And it's going to bring law enforcement. Yeah, I hear your arguments, but, you know, the, the black community is very divided on this. NAACP has come out in favor of the ban. A lot of black health organizations and consumer groups, the American Cancer Association and others. I, I'm not sure, you know, it's, this is a conundrum. You're right, I'm, we're divided. But when we're divided, what, what should bring us together? Let's dig deeper on the issue. Let's do some research. Let's get the... Uh, why would uh, those who are even in favor of the ban, why would they oppose doing a study of the racial impact of it? Well, they would tell you, and I've interviewed some of those on uh, my show, they would tell you the studies have already been done and the data is is there, the stats are there, and the evidence is there that these menthol cigarettes are incredibly dangerous uh, to African-Americans and leads to higher rates of uh, certain kinds of cancers and illnesses associated with smoking. So I don't think they would uh, agree with you that there needs to be more studying of the issue done. In fact, what they say is that it's taking way too long because the evidence has been there for many, many years and the FDA is just catching up with uh, something, you know, a ban that is going to significantly 
increase the health outcomes for black folks. Uh, and then, you know, I'm sure you've heard these arguments that some of the folks that I've interviewed have also said they, they are questioning the uh, opposition. And obviously this is not targeted at you, but some of them say that they believe some who are opposing it are in bed with the big tobacco companies and perhaps are getting uh, kickbacks or perks or money or something uh, for their position. I just don't know where the Biden administration, I mean, they, they don't appear to be backing up. Are you sensing that they are going to uh, take Reverend Sharpton up on his proposal of more studying or, or what do you think is going to happen? Well, I, I think they're going to do what they think uh, would bring people together and not divide people. And, and I think that um, while there's serious uh, opposition and there's serious promotion uh, for the menthol ban, uh, and where I come in is the consequences. You know, I think that uh, we've had uh, some people uh, to lose their lives in our community when police overreact to uh, their involvement with cigarettes. And I think some of the mothers who have lost their children as, as a result of the interaction of law enforcement. When you say these studies have been done, that black law enforcement has said no one from the FDA ever asked them what the consequences. And so, yeah, there may have been some studies, but those studies were not comprehensive. They were not thorough because the black community itself is not, as you know, it's not monolithic. No, no. And you mentioned, let me say this, you mentioned those mothers. I've had some mothers who lost their sons to police violence who are also very much in favor of the ban. So you're right. We are not monolithic. And on this issue in particular, we seem to be particularly divided Law enforcement, right. civil rights organizations, consumer groups, you know, uh, mothers and, and citizens. This is going to be a tough one for uh, the Biden administration. It's going to be interesting to see how they move forward. Uh, all the reports well, I, I see. Move it's my understanding, even after the rule is uh, promulgated, it still is going to take three or four years before it's actually implemented. Mm -hmm. So I think there's still room uh, for studies. There's still room for, and for people who say they, they don't want any more studies. Um, I, I find that very interesting to me. Uh, it's just like uh, I remember when we started dealing with environmental matters, there was opposition because people didn't believe that environmental issues were a civil rights issue. And we're now over that. Now, now we have a growing environmental justice movement. But it took a while for people to cognitively relate these issues uh, beyond uh, the health issues. I agree. We should do everything to protect the health of our community. But health is also impacted by disproportionate and sometimes fatal interaction unnecessarily with police forces that are hostile to our community. Yeah, so we got that, you know, obviously law enforcement should play a role and their voices should be heard. So you got the black doctors uh, and health organizations saying this is the way to proceed and, and law enforcement, you know, having some different thoughts about it. We're going to watch this, obviously, because there's no right or wrong answer. Obviously, the black community uh, has a right to have different opinions about various well, issues, my, and this my, my being is, one of when, them. When there's a right and a wrong and a serious division, uh, we can have a win-win just by getting more factual information. We need to have more discussion, uh, more debate, and more resolve. I think this is something that's vital as we go forward, that we don't become polarized where we see the other side as the enemy rather than brothers and sisters with a different point of view. And I think that sometimes, and I'm glad you're raising on your uh, this, uh, program, Ariba, we need more discussion as we move forward. 
we need more discussion and we definitely need this issue raised uh, in more forums because I'm not so certain that you know, enough black folks are even tuned in to this proposed change by the FDA. Obviously, the pundits, the experts are debating it, the national organizations that have their activists and their lobbyists and their policy advisors. But I want to see folks, just everyday people who may smoke or may have family members that smoke, I'd love to see them weigh in on this as well. Well, we are out of time, Dr. Chavis. Thank you so much for all the work you do with the National Newspaper Publishers Association. Uh, The Black press is so, so important, particularly in moments like these, in moments where our entire democracy uh, is being threatened and anti-Black sentiments are reigning high or pervasive throughout our culture. Uh, It is so important that folks are getting information, they're getting it accurate, and they're getting it from trusted sources. And the National Newspaper Publishers Association is one of those trusted sources and your 250 Black newspapers around this country. So again, thank you for the work that you do.